The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Hello and welcome to The Drinking Hour from Food FM with me, David Kermode. This week, one of the jewels of the Douro Valley, Quinta de Noval, creator of wine and port, including the highly coveted Nacional. I'll talk to the winemaker there, Carlos Agreos. Plus, later on, as ever, some Portuguese medal winners from the IWSC Hall of Fame. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. There are few wine regions, if any, the world over so spectacular as the Douro Valley. Stone walls cascade down steep terraces as the river snakes below. Famous first and foremost for the port that was historically matured down on the coast at Villanova de Gaia. These days, it is also celebrated for its still wines. Quinta de Noval is one of the great names established in 1715. It's now part of the Aximilissime group of wineries and as a result has seen significant investment in innovation and expansion. An impressive range of still wines make up a growing part of the portfolio, but Nacional is undoubtedly its most celebrated creation, a single plot port from two hectares of ungrafted pre-phylloxera vines. It is unsurprisingly coveted by collectors and costs uh, a lot. I was fortunate enough to uh, visit the historic Quinta uh, last uh, autumn and uh, taste Nacional as well. Uh, the winemaker there, his technical director, is Carlos Agreos, and uh, he joins me now uh, from the Quinta. Uh, Carlos, uh, welcome to The Drinking Hour. Thank you, David. Uh, it's great to have you. There's lots to talk about, and obviously uh, the iconic Quinta Noval uh, is our priority. But, but first of all, we've got to talk about you, really. Winemaking yes. kind of runs in your blood, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It runs in the family, actually. So... We were all, we've been in the Douro uh, since the midst of the uh, 19th century. And initially we were uh, grape growers and then turned in, into producers only uh, in, in the uh, 20th century. But um, throughout these two centuries, we've always been involved in wine and grapes. And, um, and that's my cauldron. And so, uh, I, I, although I was born in England, because my father was graduating there at the time. I swiftly uh, came back to Portugal, uh, studied here, got my agricultural degree and then post-graduated in uh, wines in Bordeaux in 95. And then came, 94, sorry, came back and have worked uh, in wine ever since. It's quite a combination. Born um, in Britain, uh, raised yeah. in Portugal, um, you did, uh, yes, part of your wine education in Bordeaux. Um, yes. uh, obviously, that was in French. Uh, yes. So you must have the most extraordinary array of languages. <laughs> well, not extraordinary. I, I do speak uh, fluent English and Portuguese, but I'm still OK with, with French and Spanish. So I, I would say four languages. That's pretty good to me. Certainly a lot more than I uh, speak. Um, and tell us about why you wanted to make wine. Well, that, that's um, 
often are questions about that. And I think, uh, as you mentioned before, it really, it's something that runs in your blood, isn't it? Um, since I was always involved um, in the harvests when I was a kid, running around our family winery in Somamed Ribatua, and, and you've been to harvest before, there's that, that wonderful scent of fermentation um, and all those floral uh, aromas and, and fruity aromas that are flying around the, the winery. And that, that once you, you, you're involved with those scents, they never seem to leave your head, really, <laughs> since yeah. it's one of those things. Uh, you know, it's, it's all about the scent, I think, and the smell involved around fermenting uh, liquids in this time uh, and, and uh, wine. I think that any time one is exposed to this frequently as a child, it doesn't leave our brain, really. Mm. And, and so, so it's a fairly simple answer, I think. Yeah, well, it makes <laughs> sense because there is um, an unmistakable uh, aroma that kind of draws you into a, uh, a winery. Although I should add, I've never made a, um, a wine in my life. But um, you cut your teeth in the home of one of my favourite wines, uh, Margot, didn't you? Yes, uh, I was... Um... I in in when I was post graduating in 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 Bordeaux, um, I actually worked for some months at Cantonac Brown, which is not far from Margot at all, and belongs to AXA uh, also AXA Millezim, who are owners of Quinta de Noval. So when that my time in Bordeaux. Um, uh, was spent largely at, uh, or mostly at Contenac Brown. So what did um, working at one of those great Bordeaux estates instill in you as a winemaker? Well, everything was so, so different. Um, because when I went over to France, uh, I was only really used to uh, port wine and, and, not, and I wasn't, and I had never been directly involved in dry wines and so that was all a new experience and obviously uh, at the time uh, French wineries were miles ahead of most of the Portuguese wineries and further equipped also and especially uh, the Douro uh, wineries not now but then 30 years ago it was so it really in changed entirely changed my view on the whole of winemaking, really. Fundamental. You have a, um, a pretty much career-long involvement with um, Christian Seely um, and AXA Millesime, uh, the French company that, as you said, owns Quinta Naval, owns Cantonac Brown. And uh, why have you chosen to kind of stay in one place with that uh, setup, if you like? I met I met Christian Seely, the managing director of, uh, of AXA Millezim and Noval, in '93, uh, when AXA Millezim bought uh, Quinta de Noval, and I was in an intern at Quinta de Noval at the time, and that's when I met Christian, and I was invited uh, by Christian and the technical director to um, fly over to, to France and join them because I, I told them of my intention to postgraduate there. That's how, how it all started. But um, 
I, when I flew back to Portugal, I worked for other companies and also for my family uh, firm. And in 2015, so, so with no connection to AXA, but uh, in 2015, uh, Christian called me and asked me if I would like to join AXA uh, Noval as a technical director uh, to replace my uncle, Antonio, who um, would be um, uh, leaving in, in, in 2017. And, and I did. So, um, so that's the story. Yeah, and um, it's fair to say that uh, you and Christian Seely, very accomplished, very celebrated man in the wine world, um, you and he kind of think alike on a lot of things, don't you? Well, thankfully, I, I hope so. Um, uh, that's why we get along well in, in, in our views of what the uh, Doro wine uh, should be and, and how the future should be. But um, Christian has a very clear idea of, of what uh, the future reserves for us and what he wants us to achieve at Noval. And he's very candid about sharing all his views, and um, and it's great. Mm, I bet, yeah. I mean, uh, introduce us then for those who are not familiar with uh, Quinta de Noval and uh, what it uh, represents. Um, it has an illustrious history um, dating back to 1715. Uh, what makes it so special? Well, first of all, uh, as you say, 1715. That, that's a long time ago along with some other large quintas in the Dura, but, but there are only a few. So it has a very illustrious um, career or history. Um, but it's always been known for, for its premium uh, ports, and for ports, if you like, and um, throughout the centuries. And it had, has had uh, many owners, um, but I think the pivotal point was um, when after well, after the phylloxera uh, ravaged through the uh, the whole valley as it did in france also and and virtually destroyed all the vineyards um in 90 in 1894 the the estate was bought by antonio jose da silva who i think was the person that that started this enormous turnaround uh, to what um uh, noval uh, has turned into. Uh, he understood that he would have to replant the whole estate uh, with grafted uh, vines to defeat phylloxera. And, um, and that's how uh, Noval re-emerged as a, a grand estate. And then obviously um, in two, in 1930, with the launch of the 1931 um, Quinta de Noval Nacional Vintage Port, which is an iconic and historical wine that sort of cemented the return of, um, of, of Noval. And, and that, like that, it, it, run, uh, it ran through the 20th century, and then, and then it sort of uh, collapsed in the 80s, was bought by AXA in the early 90s, and really, since then, it's it's been enjoying 
uh, a great period of fantastic wines uh, to where we are now. Mm. And it's most famous, Quinta Naval, for yep. the production of port historically, but still wines are uh, increasingly important, very highly regarded. Um, what's the um, extent to which uh, you make port and what's the extent to which you make still wines these days? Okay, well, I'll start by, by the last part of your, your question, which is uh, currently we produce around 70% of port wine and 30% of, of, of dry wines divided in, in, in reds and whites. Um, so that's been increasing throughout the last uh, 30 years, I would say, which is not a long time. Mm, it's but, not. Uh, no. And, and the advent of, of uh, dry wines in the Douro is recent anyway, because um, if you take the, uh, well, we, the Barca Velha, the well-known Barca Velha um, red wine from the Douro, it was created in the 50s. Of, of the last century and then not much happened after that and so dry wines really only emerged in the late 80s of the last century so it's all very recent and but it's been really uphill from there it's uh, because we have astonishing grape varieties and a great number of them also I, I'm, I'm not quite certain if this number is absolutely correct, but we have at least 67 different red grape varieties in the Douro and 49 white grape varieties. So you can imagine um, the extent of, of the wines we can make. And not even a third of these varieties are still quite understood to make dry wines. Although in field blends, that's how historically port wine was made. But of course, dry wines is a different matter altogether. I would point out that perhaps uh, most of the red wines are produced with six or seven varieties, perhaps. The same with white wines. So you can imagine the future since the demand is there, and now we have the technology, we have all the young, the young winemakers and, and winemakers from my generation that have traveled and studied abroad, they all bring in their experiences and their experience and are trialing with all these varieties. And that's probably why the Douro nowadays is well one of the most uh, motivating and fascinating wine regions in the world to work. You, we can produce world quality port wines, red wines, white wines, even sparkling wines, all in the same region. Mm. It's uh, like a kind of playground almost for a, a, a winemaker with the sheer uh, a, a, a array of grape varieties and uh, also the terroir aspect, the, the elevation, etc., that you're dealing with there, isn't it? And that's very well put and very well said. Playground. It is. <laughs> For anyone who makes wine to have all these varieties at our disposal, it's extraordinary. Tell us about, uh, we're not going to get through 67, but tell us about some <laughs> of the key varieties and, and their impact uh, for, for, for you. Okay, well, clearly... 
clearly the Toriga Nacional will have to stand out. That, that's good. And then, secondly, Toriga Francesa, then Tinta Roriz, Solzão, and Tinto Cão. Those would be the main ones. We also work with Tinta Amarela, uh, that's also very good. And um, Tinta Francisca, we have a few hectares. Those for red wines. Uh-huh. And, and um, for white wines, mostly Viozinho, Gouveio, and Rabigato. Although we do use a bit of Odega de Lerinho also. So we work mostly with, with five or six red grape varieties and four white varieties. And is your focus primarily uh, on blending uh, with the still wines? I would say so. Um, because um, we like to, well, we, first of all, we understand our, our vineyards and our grapes. So that enables us to co-ferment. I personally prefer, when I, whenever I can, obviously, um, blend the grapes in the tank and leave them to ferment together. There's a, I think the marriage uh, between the varieties uh, is better uh, together. And uh, that's our view. Although some wines, obviously, we blend them after. But we prefer to co-ferment. And I think that that comes from the port wine, really, because port wine is always co-fermented. We never ferment a vital uh, uh, on its own for port wine. So, Carlos, just explain, um, you alluded there to it, but but why um, co-fermentation is such a significant factor uh, in the wines that you're dealing with in the Douro? I think um, the answer really, it's always related to port. And if we think that all the, the great ports, and certainly all the great ports at Navarre, have always been made by co-fermenting varieties, that I think leads us uh, to where we are at co-fermenting for, for, for dry wines. And, and, and as I said before, uh, we prefer to do that than actually blending the wines after they're made. It's a bit like uh, the field blend, the concept being, you know, that it... Uh, That's exactly it's, it's exactly it, yes. It, it, it kind of happens there in the vineyard. Um, it, it's a more natural process, I guess, in a sense. Well, it is. And uh, take Nacional, for instance. It's a field blend and... Uh, we, we pick it and pick the, all the grapes in one day and, and co-ferment them, ferment them all together. And, and we have a remarkable result. I suppose if, if we picked them all individually and fermented them separately, uh, we wouldn't achieve the same results. So there's a lot of chemical uh, reactions going on during co-fermentation that, in our view, uh, produce better wines. And that undoubtedly is the case. National, for those who don't know, it is your uh, top port from a, a beautiful plot that, as you say, is a, um, a field blend with a whole array of different uh, grape varieties growing. Uh, but yes. uh, it, this might sound like a very basic question, but surely not everything can be ripe at the same time on the same given day that you pick. Okay. 
And I'll, two things there um, that you, you, you're, you're correct, absolutely right. Not all varieties ripen at the same time. But in the case of a nacional or the old traditional old vines, as we call them, with mixed varieties, they were planted like that on purpose. So that means that when you decide to harvest, you are in actually picking uh, varieties that are overripe, some that are just ripe, and others that are underripe. And this blend together gives us a homogeneous must every year. You see, that was the concept of old vines and mixed varieties. We try and co-ferment them as ripe as they can be or, or very close to ripeness. And that is not very complicated in an estate like Naval because as, you, as you've seen, we have all the exposures uh, around the mountain and all these different altitudes and microclimates to choose from. So we, we always manage to find grapes at optimum ripeness and then uh, add two or three together and co-ferment. So the different realities, we either do um, field blends or choose one or two, two or three and blend them together. And uh, Turiga Nacional, you, you mentioned that uh, one of uh, your um, top grapes uh, it, it, it is a, a grape that is is um, so beautiful, so aromatic, uh, perfumed, um, delicate, but also with some real uh, power and definition and structure there. Um, would you say um, that Tariga Nacional is um, the top grape of the Douro, or is that a grotesque simplification? It wouldn't be fair <laughs> also on some other varieties because they all have... The, 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 you know, the top. But um, Turiga Nacional is certainly one of the, the, the most rounded uh, of, of grapes because it has a fantastic color, uh, beautiful aromatic, really works for ports and reds. It's a stunning variety, but, um, and for single varietal wines also. But you, it wouldn't be fair on Toriga Francesa because it, it's, um, it has a low, lower alcohol than Toriga Nacional, but the structure and power behind Toriga Francesa sets it, sets it up as a uh, base uh, grape variety for, the, for almost all of the Douro blends. So yes, Toriga Nacional is at the, at the top, but we can't rule out Toriga Francesa. And also Sozão for the massive color it carries. And, and so we could go on. But overall, Toriga Nacional is, is a great variety. What you really have uh, with all of those great varieties is, is um, uh, combined with the um, extraordinary sort of geographic nature of the Douro Valley um, and the the various different aspects and and altitudes that uh, you have to 
to, to, to deal with as well. Um, you really have this kind of extraordinary palette in front of you, don't you, as, a, as a, like an artist, effectively, to, to be able to uh, create a, a wine or a port in much the same way as, a, as an artist might a picture. Well, it is in a, in a certain way, because uh, we walk the vineyards every single day during the harvest to find, to exactly find where, you know, those musical notes are to create our song, <laughs> if you like to put it that way. So um, we out to find where the ripe grapes are and if they're ready to ferment. So it's an everyday job during the, the harvest. Mm, mm, I bet. And um, you are... Uh, very much in tune, you, you, you mentioned earlier on the technology that has been invested in the Dura Valley um, yep. to bring it up to, uh, to the standards you'd expect to find in the best wine regions in the world. Uh, but there's a lot of heritage that you're still using there as well. Um, foot treading in the Lagars uh, being a, mm. a, a, a key one. Why do you still do that? Well, look, if, if we can really go back to the, um, you know, the archaeological findings of the third and fourth centuries, so you can imagine uh, how long ago that was, and Lagarde's already existed. So there's this whole historical um, aspect around them. But there is, the reality is that we have stone, granite stone Lagarde still, and we also have stainless steel Lagarde. And we've always been comparing uh, the result, the resulting wines out of them. And, you know, stone Lagarde still have the edge. And our best wines always come out of the stone Lagarde. So that's the reality. That's why we still use them. And of course, the stone Lagarde are coupled nowadays with technology. So although we still foot tread the grapes, we have uh, robotic treaders that also help us out through the whole fermentation cycle. And uh, so there's a lot of technology involved also. But the tank is still a granite open fermenter Lagarde. And I've uh, had the pleasure of, uh, when I visited you recently, of, of doing some foot treading. It's hard work, actually. But why hard. do you still rely when, you, as you say, you have that technology, you have those, um, uh, those, those treaders, mm. those automated ones. Why do mm. you still use workers' feet? Look, um, well, first of all, I think that, well, the, the surface of, of granite is a rugged surface. So, so... It's not a polished surface. And uh, so when, your, uh, when our foot treads on, on, a, on a grape, on a berry, uh, and, and, and squashes the berry against the stone, our foot, uh, the, the, the pips press into our skin and don't crack. So there's that treading element where the green tannin that could be in the pips doesn't feed into the wine. That's very important. Uh, secondly, um, when you have 10 or 12 people in a lagar treading, that's 20 or 24 legs <laughs> that um, 
at a, uh, you know, roughly uh, 30 degrees or something like that. And so we're, when traders are doing their, their work, the temperature in the Lagarde start to go up and, and, uh, and homogenize around the whole Lagarde. So it's the, the fermentation starts much faster and more even. The, so that's why we still use it. And are you using uh, port techniques in the production of still wines? Well, well, um, we have done uh, in 2019 and 2020 after we bought Quinta de Pasadoro, uh, which is a neighboring um, Quinta to Quinta de Noval. And their, their style of, of dry wines uh, was made that way. But we've since since abandoned that, that way of making dry wines because there's a lot of heavy extraction going on. And so it wasn't really uh, the Noval style of, of, of wines. So we've, uh, we have nothing against it, but I think there's a lot of extraction that can be avoided into uh, still wines. Mm, yeah, that uh, is uh, an interesting point. Um, just what would you say the Quinta Noval style is? Well, first of all, we, we, we like to um, translate the quality of, of the terroir, uh, the site where the grapes grow. And this is all this all has to do with experience and uh, around our vineyard. So it's all about translating into the wine what a certain parcel, a certain terroir gives us. And uh, you would understand that by tasting, uh, for, before we blend, for instance, a single varietal of Toriga Nacional, for instance. Um, one Toriga Nacional that's grown at 180 meters of altitude versus another one at 290, they're totally different. Uh, but they can be both fantastic. So um, it's up to us to interpret uh, what they give us and try to bottle them um, like that. And is that your winemaking philosophy then? Very much. Very much. It's, we, we're always very excited when we find that we can replicate one wine because a given parcel or vineyard is, is what it gives us. And I think that's the most fascinating part of it all. It's mm. not just about blending Toriga Nacional for the sake of it being Toriga Nacional. It's more a question of it's a Toriga Nacional of a given parcel in a given place. So it gives us, uh, so it always gives us that style of wine. So I think it's all about the terroir, really. Yeah. Um, and when it comes to the ports, um, Quinta Noval is relatively unusual in that it makes um, more declarations than, than some other uh, port houses. Um, could you just explain? because it's very confusing actually can you just explain uh, to, to those listening um how a declaration works and what it really means 
this? Well, a declaration, first of all, is not something that is uh, we just declare uh, the, a given vintage is declared. No, it's it's when a general or classic declaration is when most the most important porthouses declare their vintage port. Uh, so it's up to every house to, if they want or not, to declare vintage port. And then that port has to be approved by the Port Wine Institute. And the more houses declare a, vin a given vintage, the more that year can become a classic or not. And uh, historically, um, vintage declaration declarations haven't really exceeded three per decade. That's historically. But uh, Naval has broken uh, uh, that, really, because we've been producing vintage ports since 2011. So it's all a question about the vineyards and, and always seeking out the best vineyard, like I said before, to produce a great wine. And Christian Seeley's philosophy as, as managing director has always been, if we have a good enough wine for vintage, then we bottle it, regardless of, of, of how much it is. And that's what we've been doing since 2011. And we haven't skipped a year yet. And if I was playing devil's advocate, I'd say, surely not every year can be a classic. That's absolutely right. But uh, in all those 11 years we've been declaring uh, port wine, uh, not all of, be, of them have been classic years in the Dura. Not all of them. And uh, when we look back, but when, but when we look back and taste all our wines, in, in our mind, all of them are vintage wines. And do you have a favourite vintage in the time that you've been making wines? Well, definitely 2011, 2017, uh, the most, re and, and, and now 2020. I think those are three fantastic recent vintage ports. But from the past, and I, had, I wasn't even born then, but I would have to say the 63. That's the stuff of legend, uh, 63, isn't it? Yeah. And 45. And, and what makes a really amazing vintage? What is it that gives it that status? Look, it, it, it goes back to our initial question, uh, your initial questions of why we co-ferment. And all these historic vintage ports, most of them are made by co-fermenting uh, field blends. And so there's a very heavy extraction during fermentation in, in Lagar, and then the wine is bottled two years after, and it spends all its life in bottle. And it needs some decades to reveal all its personality and character and richness. And that's why vintage ports are really unique wines in the world. That's certainly true. Um, we, we can't talk to you without mentioning olive oil, because uh, you have some astonishing uh, olive oils, uh, really beautiful olive oils. Um, is that um, something that's kind of grown um, in importance uh, for producers like uh, uh, Quinta Noval? 
Yes. Um, historically, the, the, the region has always had olive trees. Um, you know, on the border as uh, on the border of, the, of vineyards for home consumption, for oil for home consumption. But um, you know, uh, recently, uh, I would say 20 years ago, we started looking uh, to olive oil very seriously because we have some stunning uh, uh, olive varieties, and so there wouldn't wouldn't make uh, much sense at all that we weren't able to produce uh, good olive oil. And then, and, and, and because the, ol the, the olive oil was made in, with uh, stone mills, very oxidized, uh, the quality wasn't that extraordinary. But in recent years, with all the new technology that's involved in making olive oil, uh, the quality has, has spiked considerably and we are we i think the doro is already producing some world quality uh, olive oils and it will continue that way yeah i mean it's a, just another facet really another thing that makes the doro uh, really exciting um, and, and, and they sell really well with with the wines and coupled with the wines so so we profit from our global network of distributors to sell both together it's a really exciting place to be, finally, isn't it, the Douro at the moment? Oh, absolutely. It's one of the most beautiful sites in the world. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been great to chat to you. And uh, thank you very much. Uh, we'll leave you to enjoy a, an evening in the Douro. And uh, thank you very much for joining us on The Drinking Hour. Lovely to be here, David. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Well, keeping it topical as we try to do, here are some medal winners from the IWSC Hall of Fame to round off. And we're celebrating all things Portuguese as our theme uh, this time. If you're inspired by our conversation to try a medal-winning port, then here's a gold medal winner. It notched up 97 points from the judging panel, headed by uh, Brazilian Master of Wine, Dersu Viana Jr., an expert on Portuguese wines. It's Sanderman, 40-year-old Tawny, non-vintage. The panel uh, also featured uh, Master Sommelier, Eric Zwiebel, um, Kelly Stevenson, and also Paulo Brammer. And here's their tasting note. Layered and complex with pronounced notes of candied tropical fruit, dried stone fruit and hazelnut. Touches of bright orange peel lift the palate. A refined and powerful example, they said. And uh, Sunderman, uh, part of uh, Sograp uh, Group. If you've been to the Duro, you can't miss that cloaked figure atop the slopes. Here's another top gold medal winner. Dolivarius Maldasia, 1992. It's uh, a Madeira, uh, the same judging panel again. They had a great day. Uh, 97 points uh, for this one. Uh, the panel said the palette is incredibly complex and exciting with notes of espresso, popcorn, prune, marmalade and cinnamon lasting for an age. Very well rounded and broad with a grippy, masterful finish. A well-crafted example. Next, uh, gold medal winning still wine, Real 
Carve Docedro Alexo Gran Reserva 1997 from Birada, uh, a DOC of the Beres region in the uh, north of Portugal. Uh, this is made from 100% Baja. Uh, it's a thick-skinned variety with uh, high acidity. Uh, giving their gold medal, the judges said, with abundant flavours of dried fig, plum and damson, raspberry and cherry. This is a vinous fruit bowl of complex, persistent flavours. A silky texture, well-balanced acidity and lingering finish prove its high quality. Uh, back to the Duro and a strong silver for Casa Ferreira Quinta da Leda, 2018. 93 points for this. It's a blend of Turiga Francesa, uh, Turiga Nacional, uh, Tinta Cao and Tinta Rores. And the judges said this, a complex bouquet of ripe red cherries, violet, vanilla and dark chocolate. The palate is soft with good concentration and delicate smoke and spice from the supporting oak. And here's a silver medal winner from down south, the Algarve. Casa Santos Lima, Alria Reserva, 2019. It won 91 points. The judges said this. Cocoa, uh, black currant, cherry and berries on the nose. More berries and vanilla flow on the velvety rich palate. Freshness underpins the long, juicy, dark chocolate finish. And it's our not so chocolatey finish now. Uh, that's it uh, for another episode of The Drinking Hour. My thanks to uh, Carlos and the team at uh, Quinta de Naval. And also uh, Fiona Campbell, too. Um, next time, we look back at the highlights of Series 8, from Alice Lascelles to Stephen Brooke and more. And we're looking forward to our 100th episode in just a month's time. Uh, more about that soon. Thank you for listening. And do join us next time. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world.